Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish and every time we move and it feels just like, like this feels just like this it's just it's like like who the donkey we would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild and also conference make assumptions well, my level is really far down sorry about that welcome back cats and kittens for another episode of the debrief i'm your host brianna joy gray we're coming in really late tonight because i decided to prioritize closing my rings getting my steps in before hopping on this call because last time I'm not blaming Maggie <laughs> but last time I was not able to do so uh, because we went so late so here we go we're not gonna go late obviously because we're starting late but let's just um, try to be cognizant of the fact that we're on limited time today and keep our comments relatively brief if we can and let's get right into it all right uh, Chris, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, 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 hey. How you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. That's... What's on your mind? Um, I want to talk pop culture for you uh, for a quick second. I figured we can get it out the way. Sure. <laughs> all right. Did you, oh, was you watching the Grammys last night? Uh, I was not. <sighs> oh, well, um, I was going to ask you a take on the idea of, I guess, the, the guy, what's his name? Uh, Harry Styles getting uh, album of the year over to Beyonce. Um, I think that everyone, like, <laughs> this is, like, everyone needs to relax just, like, a little bit. Yeah, Harry Styles had a great album. I'm sorry. Like, I know that black people apparently aren't <laughs> listening to Harry Styles' album, but, like, it doesn't mean it wasn't good. Like, and what you're really mad about is Beyonce losing it, like, two years ago or four years ago, whenever uh, Renaissance came out. Oh, yeah, Lemon Yeah, yeah, that too. You yeah, know, yeah. like, honestly, like, I, I completely appreciate why everyone loves Renaissance. I completely appreciate... All of the allusions to dance and Vogue and 80s gay club culture. And I think that's wonderful, but it's mm. not for me. I don't <laughs> like it. It's loud 
I don't Bree, want it in my house. Bree, you're troubling on troubled territories right now. I, I don't like this album. I would never play any of those songs voluntarily outside of a club context. It just is what it is. I want peacefulness and calm in my house. So, like, what you're really mad at, this is like being mad at, like, uh, Whoopi Goldberg not getting the Oscar for Jumping Jack Flash. No, what you're really mad at is that she didn't get it for the color purple, you know? So, <laughs> like, it's not Harry Styles' fault. Be mad at Adele or Taylor um, Swift. You know, hashtag Kanye was right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I like you can you can make the claim that, like, Bad Bunny should have won or Beyonce should have won. And I think those are perfectly legitimate because I think there's a real case to be made for Bad Bunny in particular. But, like, let's not act like you can't open TikTok or turn on the radio or go anywhere without hearing one of these Harry Styles songs. Okay, so that's interesting because I have actually never heard a Harry Styles song. You 100% have. You just don't know it. I, that's, that's, in that, I probably say that's definitely a little bit. You, you literally cannot open TikTok or Instagram without hearing a like it's everywhere. Yeah, I'm not sure what that one is, but okay. um, okay, um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's interesting. Like, um, I actually do agree with you, and then I'm I'm gonna have to admit this too. I didn't like Beyonce's last album as well. I didn't really care for I it. I mean, it was just I, I'm just it's fine. Like, it's I'm house not trying music. To, yeah, I don't fine. have to like everything everybody else likes, so I'm not trying to shit on it at all. I'm just saying it wasn't no, for me, and it wasn't not, for me. Yeah, it, it wasn't, wasn't for made me. for me. I'm a 37-year-old straight woman. It wasn't for me. Yeah, and I'm a 32-year-old straight man. So, uh, yeah, it just wasn't for me. But I appreciate it. Like, I guess they like the cadence style, like house music and everything like that. So I appreciate that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it just wasn't for me either. And I actually agree with you. All right. Oh, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll go ahead. No, my bad. My bad. I, I know you're trying to get off early, so my bad. No, did you did you have something else about the episode, or was it just pop culture tonight? It was just pop culture, so we <laughs> <if> can. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for setting us off with some levity, Chris. No problem. All right, keep the faith. All right, Michael, what's on your mind tonight? You with us, Michael? Can anyone mute yourself? There we go. You think by now I'd have this unmute thing down? Um, <laughs> no worries. What's on your mind tonight? I wanted to tackle uh, the electoral question you posed today. Because um, I've had an issue thinking about electoralism and if it's going to be a plausible path forward, but not from the angle you took took it. You, uh, Your stance was basically, you know, if even Bernie Sanders um, in the end is going to capitulate to his good friend, Joe Biden. Um, you know, what, what hope is there for electoral path forward? Um, and I've, I haven't thought of it that way so much. Mine is basically like, they'll, they're just not going to let someone win. And I think with, with Bernie, I don't, and you kind of said it yourself. He wasn't the ideal candidate. He's, he was so powerful because he gave voice to generations of younger people that all kind of feel like socialism might be the way forward. Um, but he was still kind of weaker on some issues. Like you were saying, um, if you could ventriloquize, you know, some, some things uh, that he was saying and put in the right words in some places. So my question is if you, Brianna Joy Gray were pres president, not that you're running, but if you were hypothetically present, do you think you would uh, be corruptible or do you think you'd stand 
uh, true to your convictions, regardless of the pressures. I think everybody's corruptible and not because but, they're bad people, because there's a possibility for the CIA to put a bullet through the head of your loved ones. And if you're going to tell yeah. me you're not swayed by the reality of that, then, you know, maybe you don't love anybody. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That's a you good point. I mean? you, can, you can always be coerced through, yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, some people have said that happened with Bernie. I, I don't know. That's not my take. But maybe I feel like there are some people who, short of that level of coercion, and maybe even with that level of coercion, are just uh, are just going to stick true to, to, to what they think is right. Like, I think Chris Hedges would just probably never be swayed. Um, and when I'm looking, when I'm thinking about an ideal candidate from a standpoint of defending electoralism, I think if you, you have to look for people who have really stuck to their guns and are fundamentally maybe informed by a need to enact justice, like Chris Hedges, uh, for example. Uh, let's say we could see the wormhole aliens were real from uh, Deep Space Nine. And, mm -hmm. and we could, uh, I thought you'd like where we're going with this here. Um, mm -hmm. And we could see uh, c c what we would see from Chris Hedges, we know because he's told us, would be uh, the the scars on his lungs from tuberculosis when he was in, I think, is Africa. And, and people were dying due to Goldman Sachs speculating. And them being with him forces him to choose sides and wherever he goes, he carries that with him. You know, I think you need something driving someone that powerful. I mean, honestly, I, 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 I hear you and I, I see where you're going with this, but I think the issue isn't like, is there one person who isn't corruptible? It's, is there a movement and accountability mechanism so much such that if they sway one person or kill one person, it doesn't, Stop it. That's, yeah, you know that's what I mean. A, it's like, it's yeah. not that FDR was some like magical fella with the strong will and deep working class bona fides. He was quite the opposite. But there was like a raging communist party and militant folks in the street with a grip on labor. And they were able to make the conditions such that he didn't really have much of a choice. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, you know, the integrity of a leader has nothing to do with it whatsoever, but you're, you're, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, we talk about this with Shama all the time. Part of why Shama is wonderful is because she's beholden to an organization, not because she just happens to have an iron will, you know? Yeah. And to, to your point there, um, I, I hear a lot of despair about, you know, Bernie Sanders and how the, the, the momentum kind of fizzled. And I don't think that's the case, even though there's not, to your point, a, a leader spearheading it right now. I think the fact that he woke up so many people and now the national consciousness, especially for, for younger people, and those younger people are getting older all the time, being replaced by more younger people, is that, you know, socialism is likely a path forward. I think I feel like the revolution is inevitable and what we're just trying, even though it doesn't feel that way, 
I feel like we're trying to decide if it's going to come through um, the ballot or the bullet, that if we're going to go through an electoral path or something more on the ground in the streets. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I also don't think it's either or. I There's this trend. I don't know. I don't know if it's because of like YouTube and debate bro culture, but it it kind of frustrates me that so many of these debates end up being like, are we going to do electoralism or are we going to do organizing? Is it going to be, you know, uh, the battle, the, the ballot or is it going to be the bullet? Is as, as though once we debate it all out and come to some consensus, we're all going to focus our in- energy on one thing and abandon the other. It's, oh, I agree. Seems, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting. That, you, but, yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah I, it creeps, there is that binary. It creeps into a lot of our language and, and I think it's, it infects a lot of our thinking and i think that what we should be doing is trying everything all at once this is why the pushback against stuff like force of vote really irritates me it's like fine you don't like it just get out the way right. like you don't have to do it everyone doesn't have to be on board with everything but just get out the way so the rest of us can do it same with like marianne Reddy. maybe it won't work maybe it'll be a shit show but you don't you're not doing anything else nothing else is going on if you want to prioritize mutual aid and all that. So I think that's great. And I will help you there too. But like, just why, why kneecap this other thing that people are trying? Like, what's the harm? What's the downside? Yeah. People are so stuck in the thing that triggers them that they're not seeing the fact that Joe Biden is a shit show and um, an uncontested win, making it look like he has a mandate is a shit show. So if someone Mm -hmm. can come in and kick him in the face, even if their views on Ukraine and Palestine are real, very wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely worth it. Um, and yeah, to, I'm not, I'm not, like you said, I'm not uh, suggesting it has to be either or, or and really it should be both. But what I meant is at the end, when, when this happens, uh, I feel like likely one or the other will be the driving, you know, we'll say this happened because this person got voted in or we'll say this happened because in the end, uh, you know, mass movement in the street forced the action. And maybe both simultaneously, but we'll, yeah, and I, I guess think, we'll see. I think Vouch is right about this, that it's going to be, it's not going to be that some leader emerges that's like so great, but it's going to be an upswell of public pressure that's caused by enormous tragedy and hardship and the failure of the social contract. And we're inching our way there. He, he framed it as it's going to be climate catastrophe that promote I mean it provokes the change whatever it is whether it's climate or just economic collapse or whatever you know I, I think it's going to be those conditions that make a candidate a left candidate or frankly a far-right horrible fascist populist candidate seem very appealing to a lot of people and we're, we're seeing shades of that in Bernie and Trump and I think we're going to continue to see that as things get worse yeah, even Nixon was forced to do some positive things right yeah he's found the EPA all right well thanks for calling in michael yeah thanks for having me keep the faith all right keep the faith uh i'm gonna go to a socialist question mark who i bumped at the end of the last call in what's on your mind socialist (laughs) can you hear me i can socialist (laughs) what's on your mind (laughs) i don't know i'm just gonna be brief because it's kind of late but with all this CRT banning, do you honestly think that it's like a modern day book burning possibly? Even though it's not an actual fire, but 
Yeah, I mean, it, the whole concept of book burning is a little funny now that everything's online. But, yeah, I, constructively excluding seminal texts and thinkers from high school English lessons is significant. Um, I think it's more significant in terms of what it portends than what it actually like means in this moment. I think we're seeing an escalation from the right. Um, and just like, you know, they're starting with trans people. It's not going to end with trans people. They start with some high school English classes and CRT and they move on to increasingly exclude all types of, you know, areas of thought from public discourse. I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And people who think that they shouldn't care because maybe they don't like Kimberly Crenshaw or Adrian Kim DX, like, fine, like, I have my critiques of those people as well. But, you know, are we turning a blind eye to something that's going to become a lot more significant? I think the right has always understood the kind of liberalizing influence of college, uh, despite so much of college and what you learn in class being fundamentally conservative and status quo enforcing the exposure to other people, other ways of life, the ability to question your thinking and the question the establishment uh, gave rise to so much movement energy in the middle part of the last century that they literally defunded all of the public colleges and tried to discourage people from being able to go at all by creating this student debt peonage system. And um, they know what they're doing. Christopher Rufo regularly announces his plans for what's going to be censored next and what his long-term agenda is. And so that's why I'm I'm kind of unsure what to do. I, you know, at one on one hand, I think okay, it's kind of a trap to get us talking about this stuff to the exclusion of stuff that has broader populist appeal. All these you know populist economic issues. At the same time, if we don't take this stuff seriously as they're passing laws to ban um, AP history, African American history, to ban the right to dress and drag, or to criminalize parents who um, provide gender affirming care for their kids, you know, where we're going to wake up one day and it's kind of beyond our ability to push back at all. Right. I would agree to that. And I'm actually from Florida. So the sentence mm. is actually my governor. Mm. So I see it firsthand, you know, so, and also lately I've been studying a lot about like the Holocaust and what led up to the Holocaust and, to be honest and to be frank, our government is failing and not saying the mass genocide was gonna take place in this country, but it leads to that eventually. Like the whole economic recession that's going on and the rhetoric from the right. And I don't know, I think we're in dangerous times, even though we don't wanna say we are, but it could possibly be. Like if you're gonna call somebody a fascist, you gotta also realize that if they come to power, these things may be so. What's it feel like for you? Because I know that um, Eric Gray, uh, one of the callers, he's a teacher in Florida, and so he's been kind of observing all of the bands from a from a front row seat. You know, do you talk to people? Like, what's the temperature? What does it feel like in Florida? Do you feel like there's a lot of folks who agree with it? Do they think it's at all a distraction? Well, I come from a rural area, and mm-hmm. the right has a, a stronghold in my region, unfortunately. And 
you go across certain people who talk about politics in the stories and they have a very appealing magnetic appeal to DeSantis and Trump like they think he's God's grace and I just listen to their conversations and I just feel like man if only you knew truly what was going on in this country this man is not for you he's for the elitist and puss come to shove your interest is not going to be met and you may as well get hurt because although you want to hurt somebody who may be in a less fortunate situation than you you're also on governmental assistance when they cut those systems you're getting cut as well because these people Mm -hmm. are on like welfare and it was on social security or whatever so it's a big brainwashing but also democrats are to blame as well because i come from an industrialized community Mm-hmm. And when NAFTA passed, our economy tanked. And we never truly, we never truly regained mm-hmm. from the downfall in the '90s. Like if you look around my town, and I know it's anecdotal, but our industries was was just decimated. Mm-hmm. And so, like when people talk about like monopolies and stuff like that, I feel it the most because if one company comes into this region and they take a stronghold. We don't have the opportunity for competition. So we get price gouged and it's just like, it's so just, it's a, are, are you hearing? So like in terms of democratic messaging, it sounds like it would be useful if folks were talking about the kinds of social p- programs that folks of all races are relying on in your community. And the fact that they're being threatened by Republicans But, you know, is that the kind of, are you hearing people offer that pushback? Are there ads that you see on TV where Democrats are saying, you know, the Republicans are coming from your social security or whatever? And also, you know, you said that everyone loves Trump and DeSantis. Do you have any sense of what people are going to do if they have to choose between the two? Their ideal candidate would be the both of them running on a ticket. I've seen shirts. Joe Rogan just said that in that Kyle Kalinske interview the other day, and he seemed to be really believing that might happen. And Kyle was like, "Mm, I don't see that happening. And I'm kind of with Kyle on this one. But that's what his people want. Like, Mm -hmm. I see those shirts constantly. I know it's anecdotal, but I see them all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, they're really pushing forth that combination ticket. Will it happen? I don't think the egos will allow it to happen, but that's what they're pushing for. And mm-hmm. as far as the Democratic option, unfortunately, the Democrats in my region, the party has been so tainted that progressive policies pass all the time in Florida when there's direct ballot access, but the mm-hmm. party itself is a shithole that nobody wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. Because if you run in my district or my region, you're going to lose as, as a Democrat. And that's just mm-hmm. what it is because there is no rebranding of the of the party. I know it's a hard thing to say, but it's just the truth. That's why fifteen dollar minimum wage passed here. Mm-hmm. But Andrew Gollum lost the mm-hmm. um, the governor race, and that's why. What do you think would happen if someone ran as an independent, like a Bernie style independent, but outside of the Democratic Party? I think they would have a shot. Honestly, I honestly do think they have a shot, but they can't play down the middle lane. They have to say, I'm against them and them. Mm-hmm. They can't, they can't, they can't be 
tepid about it. They have to say, this is what I'm for, and this is what I'm running for. And then if you do win the nomination and then you go to the general, you can't pivot to the center. And that's what hurts us the most. But Yeah. No, no, my good friend, Joe Biden. Yeah. I, right. I it's, it's frustrating because it does seem, you know, we have these conversations and the path seems kind of clear as day, I think, to everyone in this chat right now. And, and that is why I think we all are kind of harping on this idea. It's not about finding like a perfect candidate or per, a pure candidate. It's about finding right. someone who just understands what we all have, the conclusion we all have kind of collectively come to about what style of candidate would work. And someone who's willing to commit to that style, even though it means completely alienating the Democratic Party. Because right. it means alienating the Democratic Party. Because that's what's required to win. Yeah, and also too, and I'm going to let you go after this, but I think a lot of times liberals, they, they live too long in theory. It's like, come out of theory and come to reality. Like, yeah, what you're saying in theory is true, but also listen to the voices of the people who are living the experiences. Like, don't come to me with your college textbook saying, well, according to this theory in this poll right here, X, Y, and Z is so. That may be true, but you also need to listen to the voice of the people who are living that experience. Mm-hmm. Because you you can't tell a poor person that they don't need more money because they need more money. Mm-hmm. So that's just my theory. And that's one of the reasons why I trust you because I know you talked about your family history and you're a leftist because of lived experiences and and you're not just leftist because of some books you read in the college library. So Yeah, I promise I don't read. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I know you can read a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I will say I started reading. um, I Katie Halper just did this great interview with Michael Parenti. I caught a little of. So I decided to reach out to him. And then when I sent him an email, I was like, I should probably read one of his books. So I picked one up um, from the bookstore the other day and was reading it on my flight home from Cleveland this morning. And there's so many. um, You 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 mentioned socialist. Uh, that you were thinking about parallels to the Holocaust, uh, to World War II, and what precipitated um, the rise of the Nazis. And I just only read the first few pages of the book on the on the plane. It's a short flight, but um, the way he lays it out is so clear, and the way that capital boosts fascism to protect capital, um, and how the you know corporations and the moneyed interests if they see that there's basically an economic downturn that 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 threatens their profits and workers have been able to secure certain amounts of rights for themselves no child labor eight hour work days etc well the the profiteers don't want their profits to go down so they try to claw back that stuff from workers and how do they do it how do they bust unions how do they wrest that power back that the people have been able to achieve they do it by funding like the Gestapo, basically. They fund they fund, you know, brown shirts to use violence um to gain control back over the over the, you know, strip the d- democratic democratic hold that labor has over the state. And so, you know, he kind of runs through that pattern of events in both Germany and Italy, and it's very compelling in just the first ten pages or whatever of the book. So I think you're you're spot on there with some of those parallel socialists. Yeah, I would say so. And also, you know, 
from what I hear and what I see and history repeats itself and when the economic squeeze, we feel it the most in rural areas and it can happen. Like the playing field is leveled and if the Democrats do anything about it, we may see a rise like no yeah. other in this country, unfortunately. But yeah. that was pretty much it. Well, look, I appreciate you calling in socialists. You've been great. All right. Have a good one. You too. Keep the faith. Uh, Anthony, what's in your mind tonight? Hey, sorry. I'm uh, at uh, my union job, speaking of unions, but <laughs> briefly, um, it's very rewarding, I'll say, to see the uh, squad, in my opinion, uh, imploding. That's what I'd describe it as, you know, politically. Mm-hmm. They're just a bunch of NATO stands now, in my opinion. But I've had my personal interactions with the squad in my district, and they gave me the shaft. So I'm happy to see just, you know, their trajectory. It's being revealed for everyone. Well, how, what do you mean by that? You've had interactions with the squad. Oh, no. Did you just next yourself? Uh, are you back in the queue? Get back in the queue, and I'll call you back up. Where'd you go? Oh, <laughs> no. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Okay, I'll come back to you. I'm gonna go ahead and, and move along, but um I'll come back to you when you emerge again. Um, but I'm going to call on Mark. What's on your mind tonight, Mark? Hello, can you hear me? Loud and clear, what's on your mind? Um, yeah, basically, I, I was um, ringing in because you, you were talking about not relying on people. And I, I rang in before because uh, this is ages ago to talk about, um, you know, my experience in, in IT of all places um, and, you know, how the IT world sort of wrested back control, at least for a while, from, from big tech. But, you know, it, it, it sounded like I sort of... I, I listened to myself and, and you sort of got lost with it. And um, But w- within that movement, they had a clear message. Um, and I thought... And, and what, was, what was that message? Um... Yeah, it, it was, well, well, basically, you know, freedom. <laughs> um, and, like, yeah, I'm just trying trying to, to think on, on my feet. And, I, yeah, but basically, I thought, okay, if, if I zoom back from, from IT um, and go into the, the left in general, um, the, the world is run by, by systems and, yeah, we, we just need, like, systems that are, that are top, well, that aren't top down. You know, we're getting top down systems forced on us. In, in IT, it happened. You know, we went, 
open source for a while and that was all fine, but it was basically dragged onto the internet, you know, and, and there's corporate control um, over much of that. But but um, in, in the IT world, uh, you know, even though it's gone back, you know, most people are interacting with, with the, the internet um, via devices that they don't really have control over anymore. Uh, people are making systems that are that are free on, on the internet. So, so yeah, basically, um, in in IT they they call it the cathedral versus the bazaar, you, you know, um, and, and that means you, you've got on one side you've got capital trying to force a, a cathedral mindset on everybody, where you've got the uh, the robe wearing. Um, control freaks tr trying to force their vision onto everybody else and then what the, the systems that we're trying trying to build is a you know peer-to-peer -peer bizarre like systems you know but bizarre being like a middle eastern marketplace where mm -hmm. where people sort of trade with each other and and all of that kind of thing and there are so many systems in the world like uh democracy for instance that that's a system that tries you know that in um, in people's heads is is a peer to peer system. You know it doesn't make anybody uh, in in the society more powerful. But the the oligarchy on top of us is, is trying to force that d democratic system into being you know more more top down. You know putting money into politics, uh, putting all of the these rules uh, on 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 top of it, um, and you know that there are so many of these these systems that we interact with every day, and yeah, just just having uh, like like I don't know the the messaging, but I was thinking in you know it, uh, when I was sort of active, um, I you know every everybody was working to to that particular really broad goal of just making freer systems where where people could operate without having um an oligarch sort of allow you you know give give you their blessing you know uh, from from a cathedral and make it more bizarre like where anybody can sort of roll out a blanket sit down and say we're we're doing this and um yeah, like, and, you know, that, that way you can so, sort of um, have this this vision and you go, okay, is, is somebody working towards that goal of, of making the systems that, that, that everyone works within more free or are they working to make it not free? And, and it just seems... Like, like I'm trying to generalize this this message that we had in, into being a more general thing, and I'm thinking, yeah, systems, um, you know, democracy, uh, cash is is another one, um, you know, like people's ability to interact with each other, um, it it can either be through a card. And you get the blessing of of the the oligarchs on top 
you're allowed to transact, you're not allowed, or uh, you're disallowed from interacting with these people. And cash, you can interact with anybody. Um, and, you know, like having money in your pocket uh, or the ability to, to get a job, um, that, that's a freeing thing as well. And, you know, if society can do that for people, it, you know, it, it frees people. Um, and yeah, I, I was, was just thinking out loud. I was listening to what you were saying and, um, yeah, I just was wondering whether anybody else thought that that was a valuable way of thinking. All right. Well, let's, let's put it to the group. I appreciate your contribution. I don't know, you know, as someone who is not an IT, I mean, I, I just, I guess, I guess I understand the basic analogy of. Uh, well, know, it's not of, like, like I'm, I'm trying to generalize the. Uh, no, I yeah. hear you. I'm just saying that I don't know that that's the most useful analogy for me because I don't really understand the thing that's the basis uh, of the analogy. Yeah, I think yeah. I understand well, what you're analogizing well, it to better than the thing that's supposed to be serving the analogy. Yeah, maybe, but that's not to say it's maybe, not useful to other people. Maybe cash or uh, versus um, credit cards or, or, or debit cards um, where, where, people control um, whether you can transact with people or democracy. Um, You know, um, it's not an either or thing. It can be gradations. So so you can live in a democracy that's really controlled. You know, for for instance, um, uh, Iran is a very controlled democracy. They only allow certain parties and, and, and I guess the U S you have to sadly say, um, so forget about IT. Um, just, so, I mean, I mean help, me, help me land this plan. In one sentence, can you kind of sum up? Do you have a, can you phrase it as a question? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, is it useful? Like, well, you, it, sounds, it sounded like you were scrabbling around for a, a unifying um, – concept where, where people don't have to rely on leaders necessarily. Um, and, and yeah, they need like maybe there can be a statement, which I don't have. The closest I can come is, is, um, you know, su- supporting peer to peer systems, you know, uh, systems that, su- uh, elevate individuals versus top down, control uh and it's it's an interesting question that i think it's worth thinking about i think a lot of folks who are talking about you know mutual aid and doing you know building doing community community building are kind of in this vein so yeah yeah, i like i think i think that's it's it's definitely you know something to think about in in the alternative and I, i agree that just focusing on these leaders isn't necessarily useful because ultimately yeah. the leaders are going to have to draw on these communities. So I appreciate you calling yeah. in Mark. Yeah. The, the good thing about it was that, um, yeah, people Mark, didn't I'm... need to rely on leaders. They could just, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get, I get you. I get you, Mark. I appreciate you calling in. Okay. Thanks. All right. Keep the faith. Lysol, what's on your mind tonight? Lysol? 
No. There you go. What's on your mind tonight? Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Loud and clear. Um, uh, two things. First one, very briefly, I've been inspired by this show, this community, and the people in the chat are always talking about doing stuff locally, and I'm starting a SF Bay Area local kind of like journalism podcast in March on Colin. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, we're going to have Amanda on the first show to talk about shit. It's going to be great. Sweet. Love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think Big Red Steve, I sent you a message on this, but would love to have you too. Anybody else is in the Bay Area, you know, trying to do kind of like a local version of this, see what we can coordinate because the Bay Area is terminally online anyways, so might as well use the technology. <laughs> and um, the second thing, so I was listening to the interview and a couple of things that struck me were you talking about like if I could just like kind of like ventriloquist Bernie during this one, this one moment. And I was like, I might be that, or it's the fact I've been watching Last of Us last couple of days. Mm-hmm. But did you watch Arrested Development? Um, not really. I mean, I've seen many episodes, but I wouldn't say I was a regular watcher. So they had a running gag with um, where the dad was in jail, and he hired basically just kind of like a person to be there. He had a camera and like a, a earpiece and just say whatever. He was like a surrogate to be like involved in the involved in like the the, the plot and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking about trying to do something like that with uh, Kashama. Like, so, so the idea, as you as you pointed out, Bernie won with all demographics under thirty. So it's kind of like a TikTok Kashama ventriloquist challenge, mm-hmm. where we take like Kashama quotes that we want to get like lots of press. You know, I'll make a back, I'll make a background beat or something for them, so kids can make like little videos and just try to do like a Kashama challenge where she's like ans- like her version of answering the debates. You know, I'm still working on that idea of trying to do kind of like a debate outside the debate. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I love the idea of working around being excluded from those kinds of uh, platforms like like the debates. So help, help me understand um, how this works through TikTok. Um, so I, I'm not a TikTok creator, so this is purely from seeing what other people do and stuff. But generally it tends to be the exact same clip and everybody makes their own like 15 second version of it. Oh, like the response TikToks. Yeah. yeah. So, like, so Kashama does the thing where she, they, they, they ask the question, they pause the video. Kashama gives, like, her best, like, what the actual fuck level, like, mm-hmm. sound bite. And then we clip that. We make that a 15-second clip, and we all do videos to it. Well, we're lip-syncing it, and we're pretending to be Kashama. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be, I think it could be cool. I got to tell you guys, I sometimes worry a little bit about you guys um, <laughs> and how much you invest in Shama. And that's not, that's not a, at all a critique of Shama. I think Shama would be worried about this a little bit too. <laughs> it, 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 like, I, I understand that we're short on heroes, but sometimes, sometimes you guys talk about her at like, like if you, you know, if you like, uh, rubber, she can lay golden eggs. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like almost myth, mythical powers. Um, to appeal and change everything. And I, I think that part of her appeal to us is that she's, you know, principled. She speaks very plainly. She's willing to say the thing. I don't know necessarily what the broader, what her broader appeal will be like outside of the left, where we have such kind of specific ideological priors. Um, and I'm, and I'm eager to see it tested and interesting to see what happens, especially with this new 
um, organization she's founded. But I am I'm, I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little worried about the kind of the magical powers that sometimes it sounds like folks are investing her with. She's she's a, she's a woman, and she would be the first to tell you that she's being um, her power comes from the the strength of her organization. But she's the realist. Who's realer than her? <laughs> I mean, okay. Like on a scale of one to ten, Kashan was like a twelve. She's realer than real. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I just, I just want to flag it for you guys because I've been thinking <laughs> this for a while, and uh, I, you know, I, I also don't want you to be, you know, people are human. I don't want there to be some disappointing moment and everyone is like further demoralized because. You overinvested in you know, Shama. She's just, she's just one person. <laughs> so, do you think anybody on the institutional side will break and run like a like a Pete or a Kamala, or do you think they're all going to rally around Biden on that side? Because I think that changes the equation quite a bit. Um, it it doesn't look like it. It looks like it's going to be. Uh, just Biden. I think too many people have said that they're not going to run if Biden runs and there's been no indication that Biden's not going to run. I think it's either going to be Biden and no competitors. I might, I mean, you might get some like weird competitors like Bloomberg types who aren't really part of the establishment or some people who are so small and marginal that they feel like they can. And like, they're not like in Congress, like a, like a Tom Steyer type um, somebody's looking at the ROI and like I should just run instead of donating to these people yeah I, I like a even like a I'm running for VP kind of a thing or I'm running just to get some to sell my book and get some name recognition so then I'm ready for, for 2028 like a not serious run maybe from like a new, Gavin Newsom type or something like that but I have a hard time imagining that Someone who has a clear shot and who is going to need the support of the Democratic Party that seems to still be behind Biden, like Buttigieg or even like Klobuchar, are going to run. Speaking of Buttigieg, did you say you were in Ohio recently? Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother's 80th birthday was actually today, but we had her party yesterday. There's a giant fire in East Palestine they think might turn into a big explosion, like a bunch of uh, a train derail with a bunch of like chlorine type level chemicals. It's terrible. Another, another feather in Pete's hat. He better move to Michigan quick. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, goodness gracious. I, I saw people were mocking him on the internet about something today. Oh, he weighed in on the Chinese balloon. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Right. There's a long line. So I'll, I'll, I'll end on this. What was the funniest take on AOC's uh, gesticulating that you either heard or came up with since it came out? I don't know that I saw much that was especially humorous about it. I mean, it just was very unnerving. I, look, I, 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 I am. I don't want to ever be unfair. I, I don't want to ever. I want to criticize her where it's warranted, and I, I don't really want to take cheap shots or anything. But this is not the first time she's kind of done something a little cringe like this, especially with respect to race and specifically with respect to black people. When I interviewed her at South by Southwest in 2019, there was this moment where she went on this little tangent about how her nieces and nephews had hair like mine and she's Afro-Latina and 
it was a little cringe and I let it go because I really liked her at the time. She does have this little tendency to try to, I think, overreach and to be all people. It's, it's got, it's got Cuomo, like I am a woman. I am black. I am Latino. I am Jewish. I am gay. You know what I mean? It's got like, try those like weird try hard I'm gonna I'm gonna relate to you by literally saying that I am you vibes and her going full Baptist preacher it felt akin to that so she's bizarro Santos is what you're saying <laughs> I wouldn't go that far <laughs> she's not a pathological liar and I think that she has a lot of wonderful attributes there's a reason why we all we were also invested in her at a certain point I think that she is genuinely charismatic and well-intentioned and scrappy and smart. I just wish she would land the plane (laughs) and not get so uh, distracted and have more confidence that sticking to those kinds of economic populist principles that she came onto the public stage with would get her farther than doing whatever this little pantomime she's doing (laughs) Um, is she's a good enough speaker. She didn't have to like develop a lilt and start kind of like hopping up and down halfway through. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a choice. It was a choice with two black people behind her. One of whom was, was giggling the entire time. Like, really? Yeah. I, I, I would not have been wanted to be on camera looking like I was endorsing that. But, but Favorite parts is your your facial expressions, like especially with Norm. It's just kind of like yeah, there's a bemusement, there's a, a holding a smile, <laughs> there's uh ooh, I wish I could talk right now, which is like when Robbie hopped on the end of your Katie Hopper monologue. <laughs> yeah, I um maybe we'll maybe somebody will ask a question about Norm on this, Colin. Uh but <laughs> yeah. The, there's I find him to be such an engaging sparring partner because there's so much that he says that I agree with. And there's so much that he says that I disagree with. And it's often the case that I will share the idea of a critique with him, but we are critiquing on from on, for different reasons. And the, it creates some interesting tensions and it just, we never have enough time to talk. And so apologies for the two and a half hour episode, especially apologies to producer Armand. <laughs> yeah. He's just um, like, he was yeah, making it for intersectionality, but he just wasn't getting it. It's like, but what about disabled people? It's like, yes, exactly. Also them. That's what intersectionality is. Also. Yeah. Them. Like this is my thing over and over again. Like you're mad at what someone did with this term. The term is innocuous. You're, it's like, it's like identity politics. The problem isn't people having an identities or even organizing on the basis of those identities. Everybody does it. And it's really, I'm sorry. It's a huge tell that leftists are, are never like, God, why are these teachers identifying as teachers? Why are these farmers identifying as farmers? No, you're only mad when it's black people identifying as black people or, you know, gay people identifying as gay people or whatever it is. It's like, no, people have always realized that who they are means they have common interests and they have politically organized along those lines. If I'm being legally discriminated against on the basis of my race, I'm obviously going to identify by my race. And you can't wake up one day and expect people to drop all those identifiers when their entire political existence for the majority of this country has been fighting for their, their rights that were denied to them because of their racial group or because of whatever other identity group. And you should be able to use that to your advantage because guess what? Republicans are doing it. They're appealing hard to whiteness. They're not neutral. (laughs) 
They're not not doing identity politics. They're appealing hard to whiteness and they're winning. And they found, and and, you know, like that the, the left could be using this to our advantage and doing, you know, yes. And we're, yeah, you're, you know, we're doing identity and, you know, we're ma- giving you a nod and affirming your identity, but also we're stressing all this populist stuff, but walking around expecting people to be like, you know, th- throw down who you are and, de- and deny it exists. And I'm going to critique identity. It's like, you can keep doing that and you can keep not getting any black voters. And I'm going to keep not giving you money for those kind of ridiculous feudal projects. It's so weird because he's, he teaches college right now. So he knows it's kind of like the linguistic currency you have to trade in to engage with people that age. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to talk to you, but not respect this, this and that. It's like, no, yeah. play by the rules and I will learn from you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, thank good chat. Thanks for calling in, Lysol. Yeah, for sure. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Uh, Rika, long time no chat. How are you this evening? Oh, did I catch you off guard? Are you not ready for me? You didn't see that I was coming for you? Rika, obviously I was coming for you. I haven't seen you in the chat. Okay. Hey, 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 I'm here. I'm here. Yes. <laughs> What's on your mind tonight? Hey, um, well, it has been forever and I've been, it hasn't been that I haven't been listening though. I've been totally listening to like every episode. No, no judgment, Rika, no there. judgment. It's a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm triggered. I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Um, no, I, I wanted to like take a step back to the Vouch episodes and say, girl, bless your heart. <laughs> Um, I hope you saged yourself afterwards, <laughs> took a nice little bath. That was, that was like really, really, really difficult to both listen to and endure and not, and not in a bad way. I thought it, I really appreciated kind of your, I guess in some sense, vulnerability in expressing like, or sh- kind of showing that episode and, sh- and showing that what that um, conversation looked like. Um, but it just felt so horrible. Like this <laughs> debate me bro kind of attitude with everything. And he was like totally, I don't know, backtracking on shit. And I don't know. I just, I felt like, I was like, Ugh, I hope this never happens again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christ. buckle up. Cause there's so many more bros. Are you though. <laughs> serious? I was going to say, please God. You guys know we do this. I do this periodically. Like, it's not that often you can count the number of kind of very clearly non-ideologically aligned people that have been on the show, probably on one hand. Okay. No, no, no. There's one thing to interview people that like you don't ideologically agree with this. I felt like there, you were definitely like hashing some shit out with him, which is like, girl, it's your show. Do what you want. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, get in, get in there. But it was, it was more of like, I, I just couldn't stand listening to him <laughs> that's really what it was i was just like look i get, get it but this? here's here's why this? it has to be done yeah there are it's so funny if you go to reddit there are all of these reddit threads it's like such a crazy cope there his fans have settled on the line it's not it's it's unfair that he didn't repair that he didn't prepare Oh God! It's just like it's just like <laughs> with Sam Cedar when he got on the internet the next day and was like, "She's a Harvard lawyer. It's not my fault." I'm like, "Sir, it's I've been that way since 2011." 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like literally, literally, it's your show that's being referenced, dude. Like your it's your receipts that are being pulled up. Like what the fuck? Like get over it. Like right. And so yeah. all of his all of his um followers are not saying like that I was right or that he didn't perform well in the debate or that he lost or like he you know that I won the argument. What they're saying is, you know, he let us down because he didn't prepare. And if he had prepared, oh if somehow he had prepared, then he would have had responses and the the reason that he couldn't defend his argument was because he hadn't i don't know looked through my podcast for clips to refute me or something but like it obviously wasn't about that like no because no. <laughs> there's no clips of me talking about him because i literally never have i very purposefully right. people are like why are you platforming why are you platforming? i've been watching like- you know i've been aware of the fact that he's been making hate videos about me for years and i just chose to mute him on the socials and live my life because it That's wasn't right. worth my time that's right. This this moment came about only because feeling sort of it's not it's not the Hill's fault, but like I didn't check the call sheet and then feeling mm-hmm. ambushed and in that conversation with him, I was like, Well, this is weird for me to be talking to him after all that has been happening between us. Mm-hmm. And I have to resolve this somehow. Mm-hmm. And then he was so cordial. I was like, Well, maybe he'll be kind of humble and have some humility if we actually have a conversation and we can have a constructive conversation, which I think we did for some parts of the interview. Yeah, and but other he, parts of the interview were less constructive. Yeah, it, I it, I agree with that. There were definitely parts that were constructive. I think the part is that there's just a sensibility of the sarcasm that he mm-hmm. has um, makes it difficult to have sincere conversation. Right? I mean, that's with anyone. If you're if you're dealing with someone who's always completely sarcastic about everything and is using that as kind of like a defense mechanism to because they're both kind of embarrassed but also like not liking you at the same time and don't want to like fully lean into it because you're on their show um you know it's like i don't know just it was was a weird it's a weird it was he was very clearly out of his element but trying to be in his element it was weird it was just a weird episode in my opinion yeah look i think the thing that's weirdly common on the left is people don't really know what to do with uh any kind of sincerity. Yeah. Which yeah. is sad, you know, and I hope that everyone kind of just can kind of grow from the experience. Yeah. Like it doesn't like, we don't have to be interacting with each other like this. Yeah. It's like, there's other ways to do it. And I'm not going to attribute it to toxic masculinity. <laughs> But why not say, though why not though it, it would be nice because look people look kind of anna kasparian is engaged in her share of this stuff so it's not just like men you know well, yeah well masculinity isn't exclusive to men sure okay fair just saying yeah. sure but i was going to be more reductive to that and just okay let's just <laughs> let's put it this way it would be nice if there were more feminine energy in this space yeah I also have been noticing that I've been having very, very poor demographic breakdown on my episodes of Bad Faith, and it has been a struggle to try to get more gender diversity on the show. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to say to everyone out there, whenever I ask cis men to be on the show, they immediately say yes in what time? Mm. And the same is not true of cis women and even it's been a struggle with some trans women although I've, I've got some things in the works cool well looking forward to that um i i 
wanted to also say this whole I what I really appreciated about this episode um with Norman Finkelson um was your ability to really navigate the nuances of where where his critique was helpful and where it wasn't mm-hmm. um and I thought you just did an excellent job kind of letting him be a little like you kind of revealed how he's also being a little curmudgeon like there's a mm. little there's a little like <laughs> you're you're kind of being a little curmudgeon right now it's fine um like Kimberly Crenshaw isn't ain't all that bad okay like she's, there's some not there's Satan no <laughs> she's not even bited <laughs> yeah like it's she has no crazy, real power yeah and and I, I I do think there was an overstatement of like I just think that there's an overstatement of harm with how some of this, these practices and on the left or some spaces of the left emerge. And like he was referencing like pronouns and stuff like that. It's like, listen, don't adopt it. Don't ask for people's pronouns then dude. If it like really gets your goat that bad, like yeah. move on. Like, yeah. Tell you. But um, I just really appreciated your, uh, your attention to trying to figure out, okay, what's, What's the real issue here and how can we focus on that rather than doing this also performative, like, um, you know, uh, I don't know, ki- like shit talking and like kicking people while they're down kind of thing um, around like I, what he's referring to as identity politics. I completely agree with your analysis. To me, the issue is not that like. I mean, there's another issue about how people conceive of identity period, but that's like a whole nother conversation, but more, more that like, you know, the fact that our mainstream discourse, it has, which is controlled by the elites and liberals in particular, um, and conservatives alike are using this conversation of, you know, the oppression Olympics version of identity politics and simultaneously doing it at the same mm-hmm. time, right? Like they're critiquing mm-hmm. it and doing it at the same time. And it's mm-hmm. and everyone's being pissed off about it versus being like, okay, pivot. What issues do we need to talk about? And I think that's like exactly, I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant, Brie. I, I appreciate that. It's funny, you, you phrase it that way. And that's such an interesting point that like the, the left critique of identity politics is that it excludes class. I mean, that's like a, a large part of the critique. And yet the way, and also there's this hierarchy of oppression critique, but there's this way that like leftists insisting that class come first is its own hierarchy of oppression. 100%. 100%. And and it's like, if you're, if you're going to ask me straight up, but me personally, Brianna Joy Gray thinks is the big, most important thing that makes the biggest tent. I, I would say economics, right? Like, but that's just me personally. I know that's subjective. And to the extent that I know that other people feel differently and their racial identity or their gender identity or their whatever identity, it feels more important to them. I would rather just not rank stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't have to rank it. We can just say it's all important, babes. You That's do right. you. That's like, right. Whatever floats your boat. Just yeah. stop. And he kept saying first, it's just everyone should just get first, second, last out of your mouth. Because when I was fighting nonstop every day with Nicole Hannah-Jones on Twitter back in like 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. it wasn't because I substantively di- disagreed with lots of her points. I don't have a problem with 
you know, psych- philosophically reframing 1619 as a way to look at American history differently. Like, that's subjective and that's fine. And that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thought experiment. My mm-hmm. issue was that she kept saying in the context of like Bernie runs, that race has to come first, that you have to solve racism before you can get to class. Mm-hmm. And it's like, one, that's like so toxic because you're not going to solve racism anytime soon, if ever. And right. secondly, like, you, why? Like, mm-hmm. you, you, it's not necessary to rank things to have a feeling about what is your personal priority or to, to invest something with an incredible amount of significance. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that racism doesn't matter for you not to cr- make it a but for, you know, thing to solve before you can do anything else in the whole wide world. I would mm-hmm. serve you dinner tonight, kids, but we got to solve racism first. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I completely agree. I, it's that like, um, well, I, I think I, I, I attribute this at least in part to a real lack of asserting, um, publicly how racism and white supremacy has impacted our lives, right? Like the acknowledgement of that, which is the pendulum swing has been incredible. And even in my lifetime, mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, again, I remember, you know, you mentioned like anything about racism and you were like, Oh my God, you're the one that's being racist. You're bringing mm-hmm. up race in a conversation. And you're like, what? Like, I'm literally just trying to talk to the fact that you should probably shouldn't use the N-word and even when you're singing that song. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, like, like something. <laughs> oh, remember those that. days? Yes, exactly. That was like, <laughs> but that's like the basic and that's not even like really, really, right? The most severe form or expressions of it, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. I, but now we, we, we've kind of, and I think, I think part of it, I don't think the critique or, um, or perspective that this is coming from college institutions is wrong i think there there is some validity that people are being more educated there are a lot more people who are aware um of our history and 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 have taken tons of amazing wonderful classes that illustrate like why society is the way that it is right Mm -hmm. and those theories are super important i just and I just think then what ends up happening sometimes is people get lost in that and it be it, like in like an ideology, it just drives them and they're thinking of and framing of everything as being a totalizing thing. And it's like, you know, our world is complex, you know, our issues, emer- issues emerge and sometimes we do prioritize things that are not based on our identity. It's based on like something else, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, we're not rational. And I, I just, I think we, Every time we try to assert, hey, we need to focus on X um, identity, that's the wrong thing. And I think, but I do think there is a level of prioritization that does need to happen when it comes to policies, for sure. Like, what are you fighting for? How do you center that? Yeah. But that's also the work of like, and this is what Elizabeth Warren, I got to say, did much better on her campaign. Mm -hmm. It's the work of connecting those kind of economic issues Yep. to various racial groups. Like yeah, the, the, the idea right. that you can even that's divide right. these things up is so ridiculous. That's right. Okay, we care about Medicare for all. Guess who the most underinsured ethnic group in the country is? It's Latinos, you know, yeah. followed by black people, Kel Surprise. You know, you want to talk about homeless, ho- homelessness. What's the most 
a group in the country most greatly affected by a homelessness. It's like trans teens. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you yep. can go down the list. Yeah. So it's like you, you don't you don't shift your priorities, but you go into a room, you look around, you you try to get a sense of who's in there and, and guess at what their priorities are. You can even ask them. Yeah. What, what an idea. Imagine that. What a concept. <laughs> <laughs> and then you pitch to them. You pitch yeah. to whatever they said. Yeah. Appeal to them. Appeal to their interests. Yeah. Exactly. You just frame it differently. It's not. A, it's not yeah. a chore, core change here. You know, some things are specific to a group. You know, but other things like so much isn't. It's just about framing. That's right. That's right. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you're an organizer. Great. That's, <laughs> that's what it like my last my last little comment, and then I'll let you go. Was um, I? I just I don't know how we avoid um, as we approach the election season, which I think people are acting like we're already in it, and it just drives me nuts. But I guess we are. Mm-hmm. Um, like the either or thinking around electoral politics versus whatever, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. or even, even within it, even within electoral politics, do you run as a third party or, you know, what, I think it's fine to have healthy spirited debate around that stuff, but like, please everyone just go do whatever they think they need to do in this moment. Cause like it, there's no shortage of good ideas right now that we need, right. You know, like we really need it all to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because of how radical the right is right now and how extreme they're, they're and how, how like fast they're advancing these like fascist policies. You know, I, I mean, I do got to say <laughs> like, I really, maybe relish isn't the word I want to use, but I am thankful now that everyone is really, really hip to the fact that we have fascism here and a fascist movement growing. I wish people would have really jumped on that train a little bit before 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I also think that we, we're not I'm not in the doomsday perspective either. I, we have, we still have a fighting chance and we all just need to go out there and freaking do everything we can wherever we can. And that also includes like enjoying life too because it's it is short. So I hear that, and that's why I'm so glad that I closed all my rings today by like yes. nine thirty. <laughs> I'm killing the game, you guys. I'm gonna be thirst trapping all summer. I'm about to be so disgusting. That's right. <laughs> this cardio fitness is next level. I'm about to sign up for a, a half marathon. I'm about to be so irritating. Wow. <laughs> wow, Bree. <laughs> Um, you know, I heard a really good running music is actually Beyonce's Renaissance album. Maybe you should check it out sometime. Okay, okay. <laughs> I know I came out strong out of the gate about Renaissance. I will say that we were definitely all as a family, like, doing the, whatever you, cuff it, the cuff it dance. Yes, the cuff it dance. Yes, yes. I mean, like, it's you fun. Know. Like, that song is fun. I will say that one problem with that song on the cuff it dance, because everybody cares so much about this. Is that as as far as line dances go, it's very much a TikTok line dance and not yes. like a real line dance because it lasts for like six seconds. No, it's it's yeah, it's not it's not a it's not the like real line dance, but you it, know we'll take it. And we'll it, it, it doesn't loop. <laughs> you know, it's not yes. fun to do. It's like fun to record for like a TikTok because it's so short. It's easy to teach and to like record, but it's not fun for like a group of uh, seventy year old aunties <laughs> to do in the living room. So we very quickly moved on to, you know, the Cupid shuffle and 
you know, the wobble and all the other. The wobble, yes. Yep. Let me tell you, my Aunt Paulette, cousin Paulette, <laughs> could wobble <laughs> with the, the best wobble. of them. <laughs> love it. Love it. Go, Auntie. Love it. Love it. Well, all right, because it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, Bree. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right, Jonathan, what's on your mind this evening, my friend? Uh, firstly, I say never apologize for those two and a half hour episodes, especially if that <laughs> is with Norm. Why do you like them, Jonathan? <laughs> this was a great time from start to finish. Um, you know, I, I love these episodes. I love these conversations. And it got the wheels in my head turning, like, at various points on various subjects the whole way through. And I feel like he's refined some of his positions, you know, as a result of his conversations with you. Mm. He hasn't gotten all the way there on the ones toward the end in particular. But, uh, you know, I feel like he's trying to articulate something that he doesn't know how. And, you know, you you helped him get at least part of the way there before before the book hit the hit the publisher. Uh, but you also know your audience so well because that line you read out at the end, I was like, sold, I'm buying that book. <laughs> Yo, that whole, like, I ha- actually pulled it up when Rika was talking because she said something that made me think about it. And I, I just wanted to remember it because I didn't read as, like, much of it out as I kind of wanted to. But we were so late already. But this thing, when I got to this line, <laughs> when I got to this line, when he says... Over at MSNBC, Joy Reid, who is living proof that not all yentas are Jewish and not all bovines are cows. I lost my shit. I was like, it's Norma. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't write that. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. If you're Norm Fekelstein. <laughs> like, like, That's I your love reading that in the first draft, but then I'd have to be like, Norm, babe, come on. <laughs> like, we can't say this. <laughs> so yes people uh should get their hands on this he has such an engaging style of writing there it's so sharp it's it's like funny it's like no punches pulled it's it's it was a great read it's a great read and it's like i disagree with him on almost all the points you did like and i thought you articulated those really well uh, and but I mean I love the way he says what he says. I love the the way he kind of expresses his thought process of getting there. And you know it's just he he really is like those conversations are always super super engaging. And um, you know even toward the beginning, like when he was talking about uh, more like just the the basic structural political things. Like I think the way you expressed that to Michael earlier in the call in was was really like incisive right uh because he was talking about things like parliamentary cretinism and like i know exactly what he means and what he's referring to and when i think of that i think of uh and you know if you're listening to this ryan uh you know i don't mean it personally but like i do think of like the warren stan ryan grimms the you know the the prospect crowd as you know, they're stuck in these kinds of, of uh, you know, inside baseball wonky uh, mm-hmm. stuff as that. But, you know, what we were talking about with Force the Vote was more you have a tool, whether it's inside politics or outside politics. If you have a leverage point, you use it. It's mm-hmm. the same principle as a strike. And that strikes me like that's, you know, there's a distinction there that I think it was, was kind of getting blurred because there's a lot of this framing and he was using some of that framing that is kind of like, 
either or. It's one or the other. It's electoralism or, or uh, you know, out in the streets or, you know, that sort of thing. I think those are important distinctions and points and conversations to have. And um, I also particularly enjoyed because I had not seen that AOC clip before mm. this episode dropped. And, How did you uh, miss it, Jonathan? You're so online. I, you know, I don't know. I get there's only so many things that you can keep track of. The bandwidth <laughs> is limited, and you know, I missed that when that one slipped through the cracks. But uh, you know, I I thank Armand for making sure that clip was only like 20 seconds of it, and uh, <laughs> the the cringe. Like when I finally watched it, the cringe was off the charts. I was like, you know what? Like this is her trying to be an actress and play a role, but she's so bad at it, so bad at it. And mm-hmm. it was just, I was like, oh my God, why didn't anybody tell her not to do that? Like, didn't she run that by somebody? And they were like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Come on now. That's too I cringe. Mean, I saw, um, I think like, uh, I think it was Glenn and uh, Nick from RBN had this exchange where Nick kind of joked, like, do you not have any you know, friends? to tell you this was a bad idea and Glenn's point was that you know this is maybe reflective of her circle and who she surrounds herself with and kind of the vapidness of, of the politics right now like no is everyone so afraid of ASC does she have so much power among the squad does she have such a platform that no one is even willing to say like maybe this isn't the best idea like is she so isolated is, is there no one who she's bouncing ideas off of that would that would tell her, like, this, this ain't it, this ain't it, Chief? Like, uh, yeah, not everybody can be an actress. You know, not everybody can just slip into a role that's completely not them and pull it off. And, uh, like, I'm listening, like, I'm watching her with the the hot, the cat on the hot plate, as, as Norm described it, like, very astutely, like, gesticulating wildly and flubbing her lines over and over again, like, which completely ruined the effect of everything she was trying to say. And, like, I was just like, oh, my God, like, who? I, I don't know. Like, I can't imagine what she was thinking, but I hate, like, there are certain kinds of comedy movies that emphasize the cringe like that. I mm-hmm. hate those kind of comedy movies. I can't even watch them. And the watching that. Made, watch Meet the Fockers. Meet the okay, Meet the Fockers was not, was not that bad. Well, parts of it really? were. Really? My brother cannot watch those movies. Like, he's like that, and he finds those to be, like, the height of cringe. Yeah, they're they're up there, uh, but they're like they're not quite as like they're they're more along the lines of like there's actual like one liners and, you know, kind of it's not all cringe. And like there was some of it. I didn't like those parts, but this in particular, like I can't stand watching the, you know, certain levels of cringe, um, you know, on on TV and movies and anything, and like when I see it in real life, I'm like, oh, get me away from this right now. So, like that, like I said, I, we got to thank Armand for keeping that down to like 20 seconds because mm-hmm. if I had to watch the whole the whole thing, I just I don't know if I could have taken it. Uh, you know, it was like it was so bad. But uh, yeah, he's I mean, just hero. like yeah. he's a hero because we were yeah, that Saturday night too. So he's a hero for slogging through and turning that around. Um, for Sunday's ep- for Monday's episode, so big big round of applause for Armand. Generally speaking, yeah, and I still can't get over like how awesome that little montage he did of uh, Vosh's uh, you know shit talking, and he put like the most cringe clips of things like that Vosh was saying, like 
Rihanna will never have me on her show because <laughs> she knows. Because you know, Brianna, that wouldn't go well for you. <laughs> uh, he's a real talent. I don't know what to say. He's, he's truly exceptional, and he broke his entire foot off in that Vouch episode. I mean, amazing. <laughs> was, it was awesome. But yeah, anyway, that's that's all I had. I wanted you to know how much I love this episode and how much you know how awesome it is to have uh, Norma on. I remember that time you had him on Colin, which. There was no way. I like. I I tried to hit that button real fast to get in that caller queue. There was no way. Like that. That had to that, have been some kind of a record was, attendance. That was one of my favorite call-ins. And if I weren't so late tonight, I would have wanted to do that again. Maybe what we'll do is try to do like a bonus episode or something where we start early in the day and get Norm on because um, I think he would really like that as well. I I know that he was a little disappointed that. Um, this was a premium episode because he wanted everyone to be able to hear all of this. And I completely understand that and agree. It might release another clip. I'm going to try to release another clip if Armand has a bandwidth. Um, but also I want to give him an opportunity to talk more about it with, uh, with this audience. So mm, I would love that. At, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously don't overtax yourself or anything like that. None of us objects to you taking breaks when you need it or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, like, I would absolutely be tickled pink if that happened. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna do my darndest. Thanks for calling in, Jonathan. I appreciate Thanks you for having me. the episode. <laughs> All right. All right, Later. keep the faith. Bye. Um, Ruben, you look like a new face. How are you doing? What's on your mind? Are you with us, Ruben? Are you shocked? That I came to you, despite being in the loose part of the line. Um. Yes. Okay. Um. Bonsoir. Uh, bonsoir, Brianna. Bonsoir, Ruben. Ça va. Ça va. Comme si, comme ça. Okay. Uh, um. Ça va bien. Okay. Uh. Yeah. This is my first time, like, calling, but um, I've been following your um your work, obviously, and um through Force the Vote. And, um, but anyway, just for this episode, I wanted to, like, um, just talk about that clip you guys used about Bill Maher and how tone deaf he is. Like, mm. I was like, bruh, like, this is why I don't like Bill Maher, because he talks so much about, like, I mean, so much shit about, like, the, like, the U.S., um, or, like, the American um, education system and how this is the reasons why no one should go to school even though he has like a sh- like a shit ton of like degrees or something mm-hmm. um and it's like bro like yes we understand it's it's hard but like can you just give us that option to like go and pursue an education like that's what we want as like us younger people want an education and we just want tuition not to cost so damn much um, and also, like, the reason why I, also, I, I kind of stopped listening to Bill Maher is that he has the same attitude with, like, religion, because I am a religious person, but mm-hmm. I understand that, like, the institutional parts of religion is what, you know, what oppresses people, and we've seen wars even in Europe, and it's more about the church itself, you know, okaying wars, but not the religion aspect, because I also study religion. I used to study religion. So I see religion not through the lens of the institution. I see it through just the lens of like 
my personal um, connection with the divine. But yeah, I just really, <laughs> that clip you guys used pretty much like triggered me because I'm like, like, like Bill Maher and those two other people he had, he had as guests need to like sit down for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that clip, it just... It was such a um, stunning example. I used it on a radar back in the day when it happened. Uh, we were in the heat of the student debt discourse. Because mm-hmm. it just, it's like, it seems so obvious to me that people like Bill Maher, who are sitting there with their college degrees, which he frankly isn't really using. I mean, he is using it, right? Because you learn things <laughs> exactly. in college and it shapes who you are and it changes who you are as a thinker. And it, this this poppycock about how, like, no one uses things in college. This actually came up re- recently in the last couple of weeks on Rising. We had a guest who was there to talk about his book. He talked. To, he wrote about education from a conservative perspective and was against student debt cancellation. But it ended up being a kind of interesting conversation. And he was saying, well, nobody learned what they learn, used was what they learned in college anyway, and people should focus on vocations. And I was like, well, no, I am not a lawyer, but I use the things I learned in law school and the things that I learned in college. I'm not an art historian. I'm not a history of science whatever the fuck career history of science mm-hmm. person goes into, you know, I'm not a historian of science, but like I learned how to analyze text. I learned how to question secondary sources. I learned mm-hmm. how to do primary source research. I learned how to put together an argument. I learned how mm-hmm. to, you know, I, I learned a million and one things. I learned kind of what fields of knowledge were out there that I could draw upon to help inform my own reasoning. You know, I, I learned how to be around different kinds of people, how to communicate in ways that were increasingly effective. I learned how to be a stronger writer. Like the idea that like, I, you don't like, I, I didn't learn how to like code and then become a programmer. So college was useless. I mean, it's so absurd. We, and people who obviously benefited from a liberal arts education, like Bill Maher, Mm-hmm. are going to turn around and say that a liberal arts education is invaluable. So you're allowed to, to get that education and use it to inform your life and may or may not inform your career and your ability to you know, be a compelling talk show host. But someone else has to know at age 18 that they want to be an electrician or that they want to be a doctor or they want to be a computer programmer and stick to that script no matter what else happens in their life. And they need no other knowledge. They don't even need enough knowledge to know if they want to do something else. It's so obviously elitist yeah yeah and 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 this is what also like see um some of the people who are liberals or like maybe towards the left as well because i'm a conservative but you know i have like a populist streak is Mm -hmm. that that same argument also can apply to like i mentioned i studied religion like to religion and they'll like bash on a specific institution Mm -hmm. say well this is why religion is not the answer for everything i'm like well, that's also kind of true. Religion isn't the answer for everything, but at least people still flock to religion. Like, there's something about mm-hmm. religion, and it does give us meaning. It gives us community. We're mm-hmm. around people with like-minded faith or just believe in something holier, but then people like him um, just look down on us. And then I know I've heard um a, a recent call-in like this one girl i forgot her name and she mentioned that like there's some people on the left that also like look down on people who are religious mm-hmm. and she 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 brought up an example somewhere like in the middle east and the left was very 
much pro secularism or something and mm-hmm. i'm like i've studied that too um but well right now i'm more into like cults and how like mm-hmm. religious cults kind of like are pretty much using progressive language to like lure people in but that's a whole different thing for like a whole de- um different thesis paper in my near future but like yeah i see like like i mentioned that analogy can also be applied to religion like like i'm not sure um what are um the religious points of views of the people in the chat but like um for me hearing bill maher saying that uh, about education and about religion i'm like you know what he's like (laughs) he's done in my book because it's it, it just got to the point where i'm like i can't i can't quite understand where he's going yeah i mean i remember i was in this phase back in college probably when bill maher was still considered to be kind of a a left truth teller and then that movie religious came out and i remember feeling really uncomfortable because i probably would have seen myself as identifying with a lot of the critiques of religion and you know it was at this time during the bush era where it felt like you know bad political things like you know, foreign interventionism were being justified on the basis of like God is rooting for America and stuff like that was going on. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then the movie, and I was like, yeah, this is stupid. Like, you know, mm-hmm. religion is causing all these horrible toxic things. There was all of this, you know, abortion stuff going on and, you know, and then, and then the movie came out and it, I remember feeling that was the first time I, I started to question this kind of aggressive um, atheism that was very popular at the time. You know, the reason why Kyle Kalinske shows secular talk is, you know, he was part of that kind of secular online space that was really big at the time. Like the left and kind of like left intellectualism was really bound up in that anti-religious fervor at the time. And Mm -hmm. I remember there was a tipping point for me seeing that movie where he seemed so unkind (laughs) to people who weren't actually causing anybody any problems. But he obviously found a lot of personal solace in religion and in belief. And it, it seemed obvious that there had to be some, some third way, as it were, to engage with all of these things. But wasn't quite this, like, grade school, schoolyard combativeness that he brings to the subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of a lot of things to tell you about religion, because I do like religion. And um, that can be from a, a different talk. But thank you so very much for, like... Wait, before um, you go, Ruben, let me ask you just right quick in just a minute or so. Mm-hmm. Do you think that someone like Marianne's spirituality is a benefit, or do you think it's a problem Ooh, because it's not rooted yeah. in actual like religion? Um, the thing about me and spirituality, and specifically in Los Angeles, where this because I live in LA, um, there's a lot of people that use crystals and this new agey. I've um, major- I've studied it closely, where a lot of conspiracy theory people kind of are sprung up sprung around these new agey type of communities and people who are who tend to be spiritual um cortical spiritual um tend to fall under um or tend to fall easily under the rabbit hole or like down or like down the rabbit hole Mm -hmm. there's been um like statistics i think i've seen on cnn shockingly because i i i rarely look at cnn because they're like their data and their coverage are like off but in Mm. this point of view they did have they did have like um, statistics about who is like easier to fall under the rabbit hole and 
they connected to spirituality. And I hear a podcast called Conspirituality, where they put the yoga um, community, how easily they are pretty much um, into believing in conspiracy theories and how yoga teachers also um, breathe or like just spew out conspiracy theory mm-hmm. type of um, sayings. And people do listen and they're like, oh, well, since this person doesn't have an R next to them, like they don't vote red, they this person must have like a good reference. And also I don't like religion because of like, children which obviously that does exist um but that's you know it's 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 a lot of things in in my first thesis paper that i wrote where i dissected the bible all in german um i wrote to the point where i'm like this is all the fault of why people are going very secular is because the religious institutions are not saying hey i'm sorry we're sorry that we've oppressed people. We, we're sorry that we've made X amount of wars throughout time and we want to fix it. We do want to be inclusive. So I, you know, I blame the religious institutions. Obviously I'm looking at it in the Western perspective. So it's going to be a church. So um, in this case, the Catholic church. Um, so I, I, I wrote it and my professor like highlighted it and she said, thank goodness, because like the, Catholic Church, even in Germany, because I'm part German, like there's a lot of beautiful cathedral, like Gothic style cathedrals, but rarely people go into those damn churches. And I wish we can all go to church, but like the same time, there are churches out there still that are very, very racist, like to the T. They 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 only want to um accept people they like. But going back to Miriam Williamson, I'm not sure. I think maybe the way she's trying to connect, she's tr- it's 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 coming like genuine. I would want to say, but I don't know her that much. Um, but I I'm kind of cautious around her because mm-hmm. the way she talks about it, um, it's kind of falling flat into a conspiracy type of way. But that's just me because I'm viewing it with Dana that I've read. Um, so I'm just, I'm not like, um, don't like look, for the been, people in the chat that love Marianne, like, yeah. Sorry, it sounds like you've been doing some interesting research. Feel free to hit me up with some links or potential guests or something. Cause I think this is an interesting topic to explore the role of oh. spirituality and religion and, and movement building. I think it's, it's a very ripe subject that we don't get into enough. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to DM me some stuff, if you want to email some stuff to the bad faith, I would love to see it. Oh yeah, also, and also I want to recommend everyone in the chat to go read um, Victor Frankl's Man Search for Meaning. That's the English version. There is a German version, and that is going to open everyone's eyes because it's obviously like a good read. Um, once again, it's like Victor Frankl's A Man Search for Meaning. It's like legit. It's like that's like my version of the Bible because I read it like all day, like almost every day. But yeah, I, um, I'm not sure. How, like this is my first time on this app. I guess um, I'll try to. Um, message, um, yeah, uh, give you some some information about what I've used for my thesis paper. Okay, terrific. Thank you, Ruben. Of course, have a good one. You too, keep the faith. All right, Shelly, bring us home. You with us, Shelly? Okay. Shelly, Shelly, Bill Belly, there she is. 
Okay. So I, I personally really enjoyed your conversation with Norm. He's always entertaining, but sometimes he can go a little bit long and I just like, sometimes he can just lose me. You know, me personally, I listen to everything on double speed. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I and and it, I it, I have a problem now. Sometimes I'm talking to regular people and I can't handle it because I'm used to everything coming out on double speed. But that would be my recommendation. Well, no, it's it's not that. It's that he says a lot of things that are really substantive, and then you'll try to like break in and sort of like rain it down, you know, to where you can kind of like zone in on a particular mode of thought. And then he goes, no, 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 just let me finish this. And then it ends up another 10 minutes and he's covered 15 topics. And so Mm -hmm. what I'm really curious about is what did, what did you think was the main like contradiction that you guys were having in that conversation? I mean, in some ways, I was trying very hard not to have the same conversation we had the first time he was on the podcast, where we ended up going for three hours. And I think Ben cut it down to something more like an hour and a half. Um, This time we didn't cut it. Uh, But that time we got into like a real fight. It was much more contentious over some of the stuff about is Obama unintelligent and so I was trying to avoid that, but it kept raising its head again. This idea that he was basically over overstepping the argument, getting over his skis in a way that was undermining some core claims that were very legitimate and important. And in in a way that so like I have all this compassion for Norm. Like I think he's wonderful. He's been so brave and so principled in his career. And I have all this compassion for him because of how he's been treated. And I think that a lot of his, all of his frustration and resentment is well-founded and completely legitimate. At the same time, it can cause a reader who doesn't, isn't as sympathetic to him to dismiss some of his criticisms as simply the product of said resentment. Mm. Right? So as someone who wants his, the parts of his arguments that I agree with to be really heard, I, you know, I, I do want him to like divest a little bit from this thing about judging people's intelligence or, you know, not overstate the importance of people like Abram Kendi X or not kind of put anti-racist baby on the pedestal as like the singular evidence of a culture gone wrong. I mean, it's just about, like, have you even read the book? I haven't read the book. Who well, knows if no, it's even as bad I, as they say. I don't know that the book actually says your baby is racist. I would be surprised if it did. I think it's all of this, like, buy-in to the conservative narrative that is not especially healthy. I typically don't read any type of books that tend to focus on what I consider culture wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so no. And also I don't have a baby, so I never sought out a manual on how to make my baby not racist. Um, but, anti-racist, anti-racist, oh, Shelly. It's I'm a different sorry. thing, you know, and you would know this if you'd rather eat from Mexican. Well, God dang it. I've already screwed it up. Well, so anyway, I, I guess my question is, is with all of, with all of that being said, so I I do actually agree with Norm about the focus on class politics. Mm-hmm. And so, how, like, 
because I might not be as distracted and, and kind of more focused on past academic grievances, like what do you think is the main difference? And the, the main difference between, I'm sorry, between what Norm was trying to like, what, what it was that you were trying to draw out of him and how he kept getting distracted <sighs> by those grievances and by things such as anti-racist baby. Um, I guess my feeling is that, I don't know, I guess it's just like a credibility thing. I think everybody takes things a little too far in all kinds of different directions. And it's just, there's a, there's a lack of proportionality, I feel sometimes, with this critique. Like with the Kimberly Crenshaw thing, the the part of his book that I actually disagreed with, not, oh, I would have made the tone different here or there or whatever, but like actually disagreed with is that he described, oh, I wish I had my notes on me. I think I left them in Cleveland. He described um, the uh, intersectionality as having this hierarchy of oppression built into Kimberly Crenshaw's teaching. Now, it is possible that that is part of what her, you know her analysis was. But that's not any part of their analysis that I've personally read. All I've read is the intersectionality is what it is. There's these, you know, experiences change depending on how many different kinds of identity you have. And it's important to understand that a, a black lesbian's experience is going to be different from a white lesbian's experience and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Like, that's it. Like, it's not, it's not there's not like, it's not that big a deal. It's not that crazy an insight to Norm's point as he wrote. She didn't really invent the wheel. She just slapped a name on it. So, like, why are we even that mad at it? It's like a, it's an obvious principle that everybody kind of intuitively understands. Okay. But then he put on it this idea that the part, that the hierarchy of Olympics is what she wrote about. And so we should be really mad at Kimberly Crenshaw for inventing intersectionality because people are weaponizing it in this way. And it's like, no, I agree that you should be mad at a hierarchy of Olympics. Uh, sorry, the, the hierarchy of oppression, oppression Olympics. But go get mad at the people who do that. The the chapter could have been instead of like kind of harping on Kimberly Crenshaw. The, the 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 chapter is called Kimberly Crenshaw. It could have been, you know, combing through, you know, MSNBC segments or whatever during 2016 to see or whenever to see all of the ways that media figures bastardize the principle of intersectionality to make all of these wild claims about. You know, you're not allowed to talk because you're not a, you know, a, a, you know, a disabled black lesbian woman, blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I got the biggest voice in the room. There are people who have made those kinds of arguments. And I think that's silly and wrong. And it minimizes the experiences that other people have had. And it's a problem. And it causes people to have resentment. Find clips of people talking about, you know, you don't get to speak. You're a white man. People have said stuff like that. So criticize those people. But I, I think that when you make it about a critique of intersectionality, when I don't think that that's even what Kimberly Crenshaw was saying, despite me having substantive disagreements with her politics and her choices in electoral in the electoral context, like it, it, it it's like a bit of it's a credibility issue, and also I think it's a perfectly good principle, just the same way that I think that identity isn't a problem. So I don't want people walking around criticizing identity politics. The issue isn't identity politics; it's the way it's been weaponized by folks mm -hmm. in bad faith. You know. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree that I also really identify it, identify with that as like a defender of actually existing socialism. You know, because you bring up actually identifying socialist, actually identified socialism, and like people will immediately say the Soviet Union was brutal, China is a horrendous authoritarian state, blah 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 blah, spy balloons, whatever is going on. You know, and they just automatically just attribute everything bad because other people have discussed it and they're trying to distance themselves from that critique to make themselves different or more relatable or more something like, and, and I really do kind of think that that's what's been going on with some of the hate towards what it is that people are calling critical race theory. Does that make sense? You do you think that people are trying to kind of have a fresh take? Well, I think it's the attribution of fault. You know, it's like, yeah, someone has an idea and then just because a certain group of maybe bad faith actors are taking that idea, running with it, turning it into something else, and then creating an entire narrative around an idea, and that's what he's actually railing against instead of what it Yeah. I, I mean, look, I think the point he makes about how basically DEI people got their hands on these academic subjects and misapplied them and kind of bastardized them. And that's gotten into the public discourse and everyone, you know, they're doing the thing where it's like, it's racist to say your employees should show up on time. Like I get it. Like that is legitimate. And then the critique should be about the DEIification of critical race theory. You know, I would love to see more of a left critique of that stuff that doesn't end with like a bunch of the racist jags that the right goes on when they're talking about this stuff. Right. At the same time, like the reason I want there to be a left critique is because if I want to be honest, like this is not me speaking as like a political actor or a socialist or anything, but kind of as an academic, I completely understand what is meant when people are having this discourse about whether or not tardiness is culturally circumscribed. Right. Like I'm not going to sit on TV in the middle of like an economic crisis and try to get people to care about whether or not, you know, people with various cultural backgrounds come to the idea of like tardiness in, in a different way. And that, that's not necessarily something that we should prioritize over other kinds of efficiency in the workplace or problematize the idea of people having to be efficient cogs in the workplace and blah, blah, blah. There's all kinds of conversations we could be having about that that I think are justified and, and interesting but not necessarily what should be prioritized because they are more academic and they're not prescriptive. You know, they're just analysis. They're just, well, I, I think that that's some of my critique of norm. And, and I, I very much appreciate norm trying to continually in that conversation, take it back to a class politics lens, because that is where I come from. I, that is what I believe in. And it's, and it's not because, I don't think that uh, racial oppression, gender oppression, any other type of oppression is not a reality. It is just that I view class politics as the best way to unify all of those oppressed forces. But what Norm seems to focus on is a very academic view 
of what what is allowed, what is what is good think. Um, even even whenever he was talking about, oh well, it's the academics. Like, how is it that you can have a critique of like cancel culture or anything like that, where you were sitting there and you were saying um, that like you were canceled and then you turn around and you say, but it's the academics that should be allowed to have that critique. But those are the people that canceled me. But that is also Mm -hmm. that he is not willing to allow the critique of him to be opened up to mass politics. Or he's saying that only the people that are qualified, technocratic, credentialed, those are the only people that can critique him. Do do you kind of see what he's calling for the same thing? I don't know. I think if you put to Norm, like, do you think that academics are the only people who can critique you? I don't think that he would agree to that. I think that he has an issue with the, with political actors mounting kind of a bad faith critique. Hmm. And I don't think that he would say like, oh, if workers aren't into the idea of, I don't know, it's hypothetically, let's say he was pro intersection. I mean, you know, intersectionality that he would be like, no, you're not allowed to, you have to care about what I care about. I don't think that that's what he would say. But I, I do think that there is a tension within Norm as someone who, you know, put a lot of work into pursuing an academic career, got shunned from it, you know, is invested. And, you know, we, we argued about this a lot of during the first time he was on the podcast. He's like, he cares a lot about hard work, people who are academically rigorous in a kind of traditional way, people who are kind of smart by traditional metrics and who are very hardworking and you know, like rigorous. And I, you know, I feel a little different about differently about those things, but that was part of the, that was the root of our disagreement about Barack Obama and whether he's smart. You know, he makes reference to the high school that he went to in Brooklyn that has spit out all of these luminaries, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders. They all went to the same high school. And he really, he obviously has some kind of personal investment in the idea of like genius or something akin to it and and very hard work that creates a high level of accomplishment. And I sometimes think that that, and I don't think I'm, I don't think he would disagree with this. I think it sometimes slips in and it can come off as what you're describing maybe as this credentialism or an investment in credentialism. And I think it's gotta be hard. I think it's, it's a very human thing for someone to have pursued a career and to have worked very hard and to feel like you were never valued. Well, see, but here is where I I would disagree with that. I mean, I think that his his body of work, um, the amount of people on the left that that absolutely appreciate him and venerate him and, and really love to hear from him and will sit through a two hour and 20 something minute podcast featuring him. Those aren't just the people in his college. Those aren't academics. Your, your, your audience is real people that aren't in those spaces. And we still showed up for that. And I think the thing that I am kind of criticizing Norm about is the fact that he will 
come on, venerate education, venerate sort of the academic space, do all that other type of stuff while having a critique and saying, you need to get to the masses, you need to get to the working classes, you aren't a real leftist because you aren't going down to the root, to the kernel, to the core, that he doesn't, he actually is not appreciating the admiration that normal people have for him. And if that is, if he feels that way, then how can you ever expect the leader of a movement to have that same expectation that he does? If you're only looking I don't think that Norm sees himself as a leader of a movement. I think that Norm sees himself as someone who wanted to be a professor. No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he has that critique of politicians. Right. But you're asking why he holds himself to a different standard as politicians. He's not a politician. I'm not saying he's right to hold himself to that standard, but like the, I don't think this is some big mystery. He he, he is a very hard worker, whatever that means. I, I you know I'm not into that sort of thing, but I'm just trying to channel what he would maybe say here. He was a very hard worker. He achieved a lot academically. He got a PhD from Princeton. He started pursuing this these studies, and was the door was slammed in his face, and he's pissed off about it. He and, and look, I think he's allowed to be. We can say what we want about credentialism and how it's stupid and how these schools and their esteem is all fake and it's a Ponzi scheme and all of that is true. But like it also hurts. It's got to hurt when you feel like you were you were qualified to get the feather in your cap and it was denied to you. I think it's just human emotions. He's having human resentment about feeling like even if you think the brass ring is a stupid thing to be reaching for, he earned it and still didn't get it. And so, yeah, he's going to continue to criticize, you know, academia for its short-sightedness at the same time that he ultimately wanted to be a part of it. And he, that is a tension that is just going to always live within him because he, he, he wanted to be a part of it. You know, he felt like he deserved to be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, he, he did. I mean, so has everyone else that has, has been denied that opportunity, but I guess my main critique was just the fact that it, it was the focus on that on that particular aspect while kind of um, espousing working class politics. Th- that was one of the critiques that I had is it's just like I felt there that there was a lot of perhaps bluster about that where every single time that you would try to bring up intersectionality or any other thing to kind of attempt to sort of bring people together, you know, or, or think about things in a different way. It, it was just, no, 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 you have to go back to the old school, but then also I'm really offended by kind of the class politics of it. You know, like my class didn't accept me. Does, does that make sense? Uh. I mean, I, I, I guess I just, I, I it's not, I, I, I don't, I guess I don't understand. I mean, like, I don't, I'm not asking for that from, I'm not, I don't want Norm. I don't think that Norm is pretending to be a movement leader or that he says he's going to be a movement leader. I think that there might, you know, he obviously has an attachment to kind of more older classic thinkers that I think sometimes is a little bit reflective of like a, a bias, but like, it's not necessarily a problem unless he, he's a, rejecting some con- more contemporary theaters 
uh, thinkers out of out of out of hand in a way that is unfair, which I think sometimes happens. And I've pushed back. Like, is Todd Music Goods really, you know, are you overstating the critique of him and Kimberly or whatever? But like, I, you know, I don't know. He's just, I, I, I kind of, I don't. Maybe I just don't understand what you're saying. But I don't, I don't see him as trying to be anything other than an academic. And so, if the critique is he is not listening enough, he is not in touch enough with the working class. I mean, no, he's a, he's a, he's a college professor. Of course, he is. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I, I maybe that's that's the root of it. W- what I'm kind of trying to get at is the fact that he seemed to get very agitated about espousing the focus on the working class while still um, focusing a lot on the grievances that he associated with what you might call professional managerial politics. Like you're like what from what from his own admission, he was saying you're either one or the other be Rosa Luxemburg dedicate your entire life, dedicate every single amount of education, every single amount of learning that you have to working class politics. And that that is what you would need to do to advance the cause of the left. I mean, look, I think that Norm is given a lot, to be honest. He did sacrifice his career. He never bent the knee. And it, it hasn't been like whatever labor theory or whatever, but he's been going hard in the paint on the issue of Palestine, which is incredibly significant and meaningful and everyone can't be all things to all people. I also, I don't, I don't really understand this PMC critique where it's like you're PMC. So you can't critique PMCs. It's like, just accept a class trader. Just accept it. Stop trying to problematize it. Don't like keep one eye open. Don't trust them. That's fine. Don't trust us. But it's not like some sneaky thing. Everyone, I, I'm I'm a Harvard lawyer. He's a Princeton professor. Like no one's no one's cosplaying anything other than what we are. Don't yeah. don't trust us. Don't listen to us. Whatever. But to the extent that we say something right that you agree with, just accept it. And don't try to. Be, it's just not like hypocritical. It's like it's a thing. It's called a class trader. <laughs> and you like and enjoy it, and then keep it pushing. You know, he, he can make the critique of his own class at the same time that he succumbs to certain aspects of that critique. And I don't, it is what it is. It, 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 everyone's allowed to have a problem with it and that's fine. But like, I don't find that to be like fundamentally an issue for me, I guess. No, I, I, I don't have an issue with it either. I was just trying to have a, like a, a broader conversation about that whole entire like professional managerial and wh- like where people get hung up on it. I'm a class trader myself. I'm a PMC. You're a PMC. Norm's a PMC. There are plenty of people that are PMCs. And I always enjoy a class trader. I oh, th- That's the reason why I love you. I love your podcast so much and why I love all of your conversations. Oh, yeah. I love you too, Shelly. <laughs> that's, that's really what it is. It's just like we have to have class traders. We absolutely have to have them. And, you know, we, we might not always agree with them. But you got to listen to them and try to incorporate it the best way that you can. And then the class traders also need to incorporate the working class viewpoints, blah, 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 intersectionality. You know, yeah, look, I'll say this about Norm. There have been many times that we've gone back and forth like this. And then he comes back to me and he responds and he like 
he will acknowledge that, oh, okay, maybe she could think about this differently or he'll have a shift. And he can be a little sometimes, I'm, I'm this way too, so I really relate to it. Be really obstinate in the moment and not want to back down. But then an hour later or a day later or a week later, have some reflection and be willing to come back and say, okay, I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, and he, he shows a remarkable amount of growth and openness and vulnerability for which I'm very grateful and appreciative. Yes. And, and that's, and to me, I always see that as, as the trait of a true class trader when confronted with information, they go, let me take a second and think about that. And they come back with a refreshed point of view and they at least try to like, think about it and try to like come up with a response to it. That's always how I view people like that. You do it all the time. He does it all the time. You know, I mean, it's it's a healthy conversation when that type of thing happens. Yeah. Well, look, thank you for calling in, Shelly, yeah. and closing us out. This has been stimulating as always. Thank you, thank you, Brianna. You're always you're always brilliant and fun to talk to. Thank you so much. You're you're very kind, Shelly. Keep the faith, my friend. And I, given given the fact that I can't get um, Norm's bovine comment out of my mind. I'm going to play us out with a song that originally put Doja Cat, now multi-platinum award-selling album artist, on the map. This little ditty that many people have forgotten, but which very much lives large in my memory. Why is this not, why is this not, why is this not playing? What's happening? Oh, here we go. Shout out yeah. to all my bovines. I'm a cow, bitch, I'm a cow. I'm not a cat. I don't say now. Bitch, I'm a cow. Bitch, I'm a cow. Bitch, I'm a cow. Bitch, I'm a cow. Go I'm too smooth.